You're listening to Paris Talks Marketing. My goal with this podcast is to dig deeper into digital marketing success than any other marketing podcast out there, to reveal the growth marketing strategies and tactics that are working today, empowering growth at amazing companies and organizations. Keep listening as I interview founders, CEOs, and marketing leaders from all around the world, primarily from companies in the tech and software as a service industries. Now, on with the episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Paris Talks Marketing. And today I'm with Dickie Singh, the CEO and founder of Cast App, a company that's laser focused on scaling customer success, renewals, and revenue expansion using automation. Using Cast App, businesses can generate and deliver data driven, personalized presentations with relevant recommendations and present them to customer stakeholders using a bot or a virtual customer success manager to drive healthy, excuse me, to drive health adoption, retention, renewals, revenue expansion, and advocacy. Dickey was the founder and CEO of two companies prior to Cast App. He was the SVP of product, CTO, and uh, or operator creating customer facing products at six venture backed companies which served customers like Apple, Google, Salesforce, SAP, eBay, and more. He has 10 patents, and he lives in San Francisco with his wife, twins, and a 100-pound English lab, Electra. All right. So, Dickie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Paris. Excited to be here. Same here. Same here. I'd like to start a little bit with your background, and, and you are a serial entrepreneur, and you've founded multiple companies. And now you're, you're working on CAST, but what's very interesting to me is the big project that came before CAST, which is Pies, which you founded, you co-founded and, and was a CEO for uh, about six and a half years, starting from 2013. And then you pivoted into CAST uh, shortly after uh, leaving Pies. Can you just talk about the, the two different types of those companies and how that, that uh, career trans- transition went for you? Yeah, absolutely. And and it extends even before pies, like, you know, as I was, as you mentioned that I've been doing a lot of customer facing products. And one of the things we noticed is we create a lot of dashboards and we ask people to come in into the product and like users come into the product all the time, but it is kind of next to impossible to get the executives and customers to come into their product. So at Cast, you know, based on my experience at like pies, uh, where we were like trying to figure out how to get to executives and uh, customers. So instead of asking people to come into the product, what we said is, what if we could take the product to the people and wherever they are, right? Like if they are like logging into the product, show them directly in the product, in your in the customer product. But if they're not logging in, like take uh, take it to the product. And the other thing we noticed is like, you know, uh, executives and decision makers, they love being presented information, right? So, and uh, so if you figured like, um, if we were to like create these presentations from data and have them presented by a bot, it will go a long way. So they don't have to like find synchronous time to like work with others. They could just listen to these presentations asynchronously and like take these actions immediately. So that was the reason why we created Cast Startup uh, after Mice. And before we do a deeper dive into Cast, uh, I noticed that you're very active with tech stars in the Valley. Can you talk about your experience mentoring startups uh, and, and what areas of focus you have 
with those startups through Techstars? Yeah, so um, uh, actually, we Cast.app actually went through the Techstars program. And, um, you, you know, the MD of Techstars, uh, uh, KJ, he actually contacted uh, me like three days before we even started Cast.app. And he was saying, uh, you know, what are you working on next? So I kind of told him this is what I'm like thinking of. I was like consulting for like, a couple of big companies uh, around this idea. And uh, so he said, he said, like, you know, okay, talk to me in like six months. So I had, by the time I started the company and I talked to him and then he invited me to join uh, Techstars as a company. So uh, we went through the program and then uh, right after we raised around fairly quickly. And then after we raised the round, then he invited me to talk about how we raised the round uh, for the seed round. And then he invited me to become a mentor for the newer batches about uh uh, raising seed rounds, as well as like uh, working with BMF or product market fit uh, for like early startups. Because he said there's not a lot of material written about PMF uh, while you're doing it. There's a lot of material written in hindsight, right? This is how we achieved PMF, right? So so working with founders, and that's something that, uh, you know, gives me new ideas on our product as well, right? So seeing where people are struggling and... Uh, so how do you know and how would you advise a startup as to when they can know that they have achieved product market fit? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so much written about this. Like, you know, uh, you, you can look at like Mark Andreessen's article, like you kind of feel it like, you know, product market fit, people are like snatching the product away from you. But then uh, Rahul Vora also from Superhuman, he also wrote uh, about, uh, asking the asking the question like you know what if we took the product away from you how would you feel right so th those are like ways of like figuring out but in my opinion you you start seeing inklings of product market fit uh, early on and then you have to like kind of take like ten customers and like work with them do whatever makes sense to uh, make them successful so that's the part that I advise on uh, and then we are you know we are following our own advice we are also uh, I, I should say on the inklings of like product market fit, like we're working with like Google, we're working with like pure storage, we're working with uh, uh, several other companies, Looker and uh, others. And then we feel the same thing, right? That we are like almost there. So how do we take it across? And then uh, that's like makes making complex products very easy to use and uh, making them beneficial. So th that's, you know, getting them an interesting ROI. I mean, an automation, automation product ROIs are very different from like a productivity, productivity tool ROI, but th that's what it like uh, comes down to at the end of the day. Gotcha. Now let's go to Cast. Um, you, are, you are blazing a trail of helping to automate and scale a critical role in most uh, tech companies, which is the customer success manager. Tell me, Dickie, what does the customer success manager do today and how will that role change as automation becomes more and more prevalent? Yes, so that's an interesting question. Um, so first let's step back and look at like the customer success manager, right? And um, uh, why did, uh, you know, there are several customer facing roles, right? So. We, the one that we are most familiar with is customer support, right? And then there is also, uh, in the past, we used to have like professional services to uh, implement certain uh, things with with a, with a customer. So that's a customer facing role. And then um, there are account managers. I'm not talking about account executives who initially sell the product. Maybe that's account managers. Like, you know, I like to call them 
as farmers, right? Like they're like growing the account and all. So that's also a customer facing role. But one of the new roles that has been like around um, uh, is, is a customer success role where uh, this is more suited for recurring business, recurring like SaaS businesses or recurring models where the, the uh, a person would come and make sure that the customer is able to use the product correctly. And they would know, uh, you know, what their needs are, what features they are using, what features they need to use, and they would make recommendations and they would like uh, help them grow. So upselling and cross-selling and all those kind of things. The reason this is important is obviously because um, if you look at like established mature companies, 75% of the revenue comes from existing customers. And out of which 50% of that 75% is on upsells of new features and upgrades. And the other 50% is cross-sells to new products that the company might be selling, right? So, and, and this shift is like happening uh, over time. I mean, we know that it is uh, uh, 6.5 times more expensive to get a new customer than to retain an existing customer. And the shift of uh, uh, the ARPA, which used to be in hundreds of thousands of dollars, is coming down to like tens of thousands of dollars. In other words, like the products are becoming cheaper, becoming easier to use, they're becoming easier to move Sorry, on Dick, to. the ARPA so, stands for average revenue per account? That's correct. Yeah. So average revenue per account or average revenue per user, depending on how you're selling. ARPU or ARPA, yep. So, um, so yeah. So the point is, point is like uh, the the hundred thousand dollar mark is becoming smaller. So you cannot assign so many CSMs to the account or customer success managers to the account. So what we see is like two types of companies. Some companies they think of like you know, oh, the executive sponsored accounts or the high touch accounts are the accounts that you will assign CSMs to. The ones in the middle you would use like a pooled CSM model where you will bring a CSM as needed from a pool or from a pod. A pod is very similar to a pool, but instead of assigning a single human, you assign like a group of three people. So if one person leaves, the other two can like carry the customer on and while they bring a third one. And the last is like a segment, what they call sometimes no touch segment or low touch, which is like, yeah, they don't have a CSM assigned, but if they may have some email-based uh, communications, uh, email email based customer marketing, or they may assign a customer support person when they it's call. more reactive, uh, I suppose, at the lower tier, right? Yes, yes. And the second model that we see is where uh, uh, digital or or, or uh, digital customer success is a strategy versus as a segment, right? Which is they they treat all the customers, even the ones that like like they're paying a million dollars, but digital first. And how they do it is instead of having the CSM communicate out to the customer, the automation communicates out to the customer when the customer responds. If the CSM is needed, they step in. If the automation can take care of it, the automation takes care of it. So th those are the two models that we are seeing, which is, is digital a segment or is digital a strategy? I see. Is that similar to the, the model that has been applied also to customer support? where you lead with automation and then you fall back on, on human interaction when things are escalated? That's exactly the, the, the model, right? Uh, in the last decade and a half, we went from full human support to like uh, automated, uh, you know, uh, and then we even have like uh, solutions where 
um, when the problem is like too complex to solve, you you know, in, in the traditional way, what you normally do is like you bring on a customer support person, right? If, if, the, if the automation cannot solve it or a chatbot cannot solve it. But it, at CAST, uh, before bringing the, uh, the human agent, we can even drop a presentation and explain something and like take actions directly within the chatbot. So in other words, whatever happened, uh, automation happened in the last decade and a half on customer support, the same automation is happening in, uh, in customer success now. And what are you seeing with your customers in terms of efficiency and productivity gains when you can start to leverage all this automation? Are you able to achieve a customer scale with less uh, CSM headcount per, per customer or are there other pro- productivity metrics that you are reporting on and measuring? Absolutely. So um, first of all, CSMs are kind of really hard to find, right? So, and a lot, you know, um, uh, CSMs would normally stay on a job for like 11 months and like either get promoted or like leave or or, or so, right? So they're, they're hard to find and um, they're doing a lot of work um, in a uh, non-automated way, that on non-automated manner. Like for example, they will go pull data from your CRM, from your CS platform, from your Zendesk, or from your Qualtrics, or any of the platforms, put together a presentation, and then go present it to the customer. They'll get their feedback and go record it back into the CRM. They're doing a whole lot of stuff like manually. So all that part can be automated, or they can use a productivity tool. So um, so if CSMs, uh, they can use customer success uh, tools, productivity tools. Um, so if they're managing like, in, let's say like 25 or 30 accounts per CSM, yes, they would need some productivity tools. But as customers, you know, as ARPA, as I was saying, average revenue per uh, account starts to go lower, you have to assign more accounts to a CSM, right? So if you're assigning like that's 40, 50 or more accounts, then you need automation tools. Now, the difference between a productivity tool is like, yeah, we talk in terms of, oh, yeah, we got 20% uh, uh, improvement in productivity or like really good productivity tool will give you like 80%. You know, all the advertisements say like, you know, 100% gain over productivity tools. But if you look at like uh, automation tools, yeah, yeah, they're a little bit harder to like implement initially because you need to get some business knowledge into the into the product. But you talk about like a minimum of 8x uh uh, gain, right? So because or 10x, like, you know, even like 40x uh, gain is like possible uh, with like automation tools. So so where is like 100% and where is like, you know, 800% to like the... Uh, oh. So a CSM that could m- manually maybe handle tw- 20 or maximum 30 could now handle in excess of 100 accounts? Yes, or okay. even accounts that do not have CSMs can, uh, you know, benefit with the automation, and then become, everything becomes like, hey, when a C- when the automation is too dumb, bring in the expert or the CSM. That's why I kind of you were asking like, what's the role of a CSM changing to, right? So in my mind, the CSM is becoming more and more of a problem solver instead of like doing the mundane, like you know, uh, manual stuff, right? So. Uh, and the way most people think of it is like, you know, uh, uh, they look for patterns and they create something called like playbooks. So the next CSM can follow the playbook. So I want to take that further. Yeah, once you have a playbook that works, automate it, right? There are several things you can do, like you can s- send a form to people, you can explain uh, concepts uh, using like, for example, cast.app, and then you can get feedback automatically. And uh 
So, so let the automation take care of like anything that can be automated, but CSMs take care of stuff that we have not seen before, right? Like new problems. So they be, and they become, you know, there's a term that's thrown out, out quite a bit like, oh, CSM should become strategic advisors, right? Yes. So they should be able to solve new problems. The problems that have been solved before, the automation can take care of it. Gotcha. I can't help but think of the parallels with the, the automation that's taking over in my world, which is in digital advertising. And as more and more of the, the actual bidding goes from manual bidding in these auctions to automated bidding and it's AI driven, the role of the, let's say the Google ads specialist or the account manager changes dramatically because the time that you used to spend manually updating and optimizing bids now needs to go to more creative and more strategic tasks. So it's no longer about optimizing in the platform. It's about feeding the platform with other data from the outside that it needs to optimize itself, basically. So you're feeding the AI versus doing the work that AI is now doing. It's a major, major shift. And it makes the role much more strategic and much more interesting. But not everybody makes that transition too easily. It can be, it can be difficult. And it's a different, a different way of thinking. Uh, now, I just to play devil's advocate here, if automation starts to take over that CSM role, does that imply that that you pay a price with a higher churn rate? If, if customers are that used to get a human touch now get an automated touch, would that mean that more of them churn? So think of it this way, right? Um, when a CSM works with an account, the churn is lower, the adoption, product adoption is higher, retention is higher, obviously, and then uh, you find advocates in the product. But then, then think of the other segment in which you do not have CSMs assigned at all. So we know for a fact that churn is much higher in those segment of accounts where you do not have a CSM. Why? Because you do not take, you're not taking care of those accounts. You're not telling them, uh, you, you know, there is a lot of like uh, gamification and benchmarking stuff that we use in our product. Like, for example, one of the ones that always works is customers your size in this region in such and such criteria use these four features you're only using three features do you want to talk to a person to learn more about this feature 98% of the time people want to talk about the person because you just compared uh, you know maybe two customers oh yeah you get the competitive juices flowing yeah. too right so and and then same thing with gamification across users like you know Karen and John are using our product and look at their numbers, whereas Joe is not using the numbers. Would you like to send Joe this product adoption uh, uh, video, webinar video that we recorded six days ago so he can learn how to use this product? We use that all the time. It works like a charm, right? Why? Because it's not a negative. You're saying like these two people are getting a lot of value. This person is not. Maybe you should train him. So it's all the content that you already have on your website. It's all the thing. All we are doing is curating it and saying, you know, okay, here's the state. This is this is what this person should watch, right? We're just connecting the dots and bringing in. Together. I like that. I like the concept of curation. So you're curating content that already exists and serving the right pieces of content to specific people at the right times to either yes. prevent the churn or to to get them to upgrade. And I do understand now that automation isn't necessarily replacing the human touch. It's allowing you to scale down your user base to people that had previously no touch at all. And uh, and therefore your overall churn rate will improve as a result. Exactly. But so that your, was your total first... portfolio health is, is better. I yes. So, so 
so if if no if uh, if no touch is a segment or that you have like a segment in which you do not have csms that's what you would apply but the other model is you want to you may apply automation or at least outgoing automation uh, to every customer so when the customer responds the automation can take care of it or if, as i was saying the automation is too dumb csm can get involved and like solve the problem right? so you're so, you're initiating it's a great uh, it's a great yeah. uh, foot in the door or an initiator of a conversation and um, otherwise that customer wouldn't reach out themselves. But when you initiate the conversation, then you can figure out the pain points and then get uh, bot steps aside, human steps in and solves the problem. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're an expert marketeer, right? Like, uh, how well, is some, it? Some people believe that, not everybody. <laughs> I do. Okay. So, so how, how does it work, right? Like uh, you create channels and then people like click on it or it becomes inbound, right? You, your, your goal is to make everything inbound. You tell people, uh, you know, if you, there is like one too many marketing, right? You, you create a video, send it to a million people, right? Then you, there's many too many communities. You invite people to join a community where people are helping each other. And then there is like one-on-one, like what CSMs used to do, right? You know, I'll get on, talk to you in person, right? I'll talk to an account, uh, you know, as a whole. So what we are doing is we are extending that one-on-one to, uh, and making it more digital. So the bot explains it to a particular person. Let's say if your title is like CEO, uh, you know, the bot will talk to you about the ROI, the value statement. Right, right. So it is, it's still semi-personalized. So it's, it is one-to-many, but it feels like one-to-one. Exactly. Because you're sending me something that's appropriate for a CEO, but the CMO might see something else that, that speaks more to their KPIs or yeah, you know, yeah. what they care about. Yeah, the C-level people, the operators or the individual contributors who may be interested in how their campaign went, right? So they need to know about that. And this is how, so what we are personalizing is just basically three things, right? We are personalizing the content, the information people see. We are also personalizing the recommendations that each each person sees. Instead of overwhelming people with like 20 recommendations, do this, do this, do this, do this. We say, just do these two or three things, right? And we explain them why they need to do this and then make it easy. The third mm-hmm. is we are personalizing the channel on how they receive it. In other words, if you ever see level person, you never log in into a product that you use. You're not going to like uh, uh, know what the product's ROI is or value statement is, right? But we can reach you over email, over text, over Slack. Whereas if you are a user who logs in every day into the product, right? Like show them into the in the product. So I see. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Earlier in the pre-show, we talked about gamification versus shameification. <laughs> what is shameification? So, um, so like it's a, you know, you know. Uh, again, first, let me say like gamification. Gamification is not for everyone, right? There are certain cases where it works, certain cases it doesn't work. So, for the cases where gamification works, you are like saying like as I was exam- examples. Look, like Karen and Alice are using the product; they are uh, doing great. But you could also send the same personalized message to Joe and see like your peers are like using this product and they're getting a lot of value. Would you like to also learn more about how to use this product? So, you know, shamification is like, you know, if you send it to their boss or something like and say like, oh, these are the top performers and these are the bottom performers, right? Uh, so that's that's what yeah. is referred to. You know, it's funny. Every, every month I get an email from Clutch, which is a big uh, directory of uh, digital marketing agencies. And they show me that here's where in the PPC category, these are the top five ranking agencies. And 
And then here's where you are, number, I don't know, 312. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah. Shame, shame on you. Now, <laughs> now, now here's the sponsorship packages. Let's get on it. Um, anyway, I mean, I know what they're doing, but uh, I think that in some cases you, you can play around with gamification and shamification. And, um, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually plagiarize that idea, plagiarize that example. Why? Because I cannot use some of our customer examples. So I'm going to plagiarize what you just said and like, you know, give that as an example. So. It's like, you know, you're so far out of the top five. Uh, this, this is <laughs> terrible, but there's a way to get right to the top. Yeah. Here are the sponsor packages. Here you go. Um, and it gets the competitive juices flowing because I, uh, I think we're better than those agencies. And I, I get a little bit disturbed that they're <laughs> outranking us so, so much. Uh, but uh, anyway, I think uh, that's, that's always fun to, to play around with uh, either when to use a gamification approach or shamification. Let's talk now about marketing and how marketing fits into this picture and in particular, you mentioned earlier three distinct types of marketing. First is customer marketing. The second is acquisition marketing. And the third is retention marketing. Can you describe a little bit more about how you think about these three distinct? Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, absolutely. I'm going to add one more to that. I'm going to call it like product marketing, right? So let's go over all these uh, three, four, oh, right? So uh, acquisition marketing is, you know, marketing to new potential customers, right? And then within acquisition marketing is like once there is some communication established, they have become prospects. You want to uh, talk to them about, hey, this is your, you have a little bit more data. So in acquisition marketing, you're doing a lot of A-B testing. You're like uh, trying different angles and like, you know, you spraying and praying kind of thing, right? Like what works, uh, what doesn't work. And uh, you, you get them to show some interest and then you collect data about them. And then you can tell them a little bit more, right? Uh, which is like, I'm calling it like prospect marketing. I'm sure the marketing experts probably have a better name for it. But but, but what, essentially what it is like, you know, you'll know a little bit more about the customer, right? So you know what industry they are in, you know what problems they're trying to solve. So you can like customize some of the marketing messages you send. So if acquisition marketing is like purely one-to-many uh, with a little bit of customization, uh, uh, prospect marketing within acquisition marketing is a little, little bit more, right? You're like uh, using... Uh, uh, some of the data that you have, but you're still doing a lot of A/B testing to like figure out what we have. Now, once a customer, once a once a company becomes a customer, then you uh, and they start using your product. You have a lot of information. You have like the behavioral analytics. You have product analytics. You have like a lot of information about that customer. And as I was saying earlier, right, like uh, 73% of Salesforce's customers are uh, from uh, uh, revenue is from existing customers, right? 73% of Salesforce's existing revenue is from existing customers. So there should be an effort to upsell and cross sell to your existing customers. So, and then if, uh, so that's where customer marketing comes in. So part of customer marketing is retention marketing, which is essentially what you're trying to retain the existing customers. And I kind of relate retention marketing to uh, GRR or like gross revenue retention metrics. And then, um, and if you're also trying to grow those customers with upsells and cross-sells, that is customer marketing, a superset of retention marketing. You're not just trying to retain those customers, but you're trying to grow them. So I relate that to NRR or like, you know, uh, net revenue retention, right? 
or NDR because we want to bring it down to like a dollar, uh, right? Uh, net dollar reduction or so. And then, um, uh, so any effort that you do within customer marketing, including like retention marketing, it's more of a summarization and bringing the right information to the people based on what data that you have about the customer. And, and, and that's where things like these come in. Like, you know, customers your size are using these four features. You should, uh, you're, you're only using only three. You should consider using this fourth one. Can an account manager contact you or click on this button and we will set it up for you or you're on a trial uh, for this. Or you would do any upgrades to them like, you know, hey, you are an MRR customer. Do you want to save 20% and become an ARR customer, right? Like meaning monthly subscription to an annual subscription, right? You would do things like that. You can do, uh, Zoom does that a lot of that, right? After you sign up and become a customer, the next email you get from them is like, hey, do you want to save? Let's go annual, yeah. Yeah, let's go annual. Because you just made the decision in your mind to like sign up, right? From free to whatever, and then you can go forward. Another category that people do a lot of, you know, with our product is like uh, multi-year contracts. Like, you know, hey, you want to save 37% from the original instead of 20% and like go to like a two-year contract or so. So all these things are like standard. They can be automated, right? You don't uh, need to uh, have to talk to uh, to a salesperson. And it's not always about like sales, right? Uh, customer marketing could also be about product adoption and usage and stickiness. And upsells do not always have to be your own product. They can be partner products. I mean, they can be an open source product that you can recommend to someone, but it makes your product more it, sticky. It, it enables, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, and I'm, then... I'm thinking of like Zapier there, maybe, you know, if you've got, you've got two great tools that don't talk to each other, yeah. then if I'm working for, uh, for one of those companies, I might recommend Zapier to enable a better, uh, better data flow between those so that you will stick with my product. Exactly. Right. So th- that's exactly. So you recommended on a free or open source or uh, a third party product to make your product more useful. And the last is customer marketing is, yeah, your, your, your product is useful to, let's say, the individual contributors and their managers. How can you make it useful to more people within the same account? that also increases like stickiness, right? So if, for example, uh, you know, the customer success team is using a product, what, how can you make it available to the customer marketing teams or marketing teams? How can you make it to the execs? So then there's a C value. So if more people use the product, the more stickiness you get, the higher retention you get, higher, lower the chance of them, them leaving you, right? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So part of this automation could be creating rules around... Uh horizontal expansion after after the customer acquisition because maybe data shows that once uh, maybe the HR department gets involved you can you can double the seats or whatever it may be um, yeah and it, then you it, can it trigger an automated product, rule right, like, right yeah, yeah. And, um um, we started from selling licenses, like in uh, you know in Oracle times and all. Then we started, we moved into like selling seats, like you know Salesforce and Slack and all. But there are companies like Twilio and Cast. We we charge by the number of customers you serve, for example, right? So, so those are the kind of whatever the mechanism is, whatever makes sense. Uh, but you know, that. And the last is like product marketing, where I just mentioned briefly is like, uh, these are folks who are talking about the benefits of the product, right? Like uh, they could be to like new customers or they could be to existing customers. They span kind of all. So in other words, what are the use cases that you are not thinking about that other customers have used with our product and then have become successful? 
So, you know, you know, like uh, in enterprise world, we had like case studies, like, you know, video, like, you know, but now we have like more uh, like video testimonials or like things, but then you can even go further. You can like talk about like uh, numeric data, like, you know, benchmarking data. You could talk about within like, for example, we do that for some customers. Like we say, hey, these people use this product in such a way. Would you like to learn more about this? So mm -hmm. I want to I want to ask specifically how that applies to you all, because I know that you all have a, a freemium model. So I assume that, uh, let me just go and check that pricing page again. I assume that you all have a pretty large base of free forever, a freemium base. Yeah. Does, that give yeah. You, does that give you the data that you can then feed and create those use cases or those case studies? Is is that one of the useful uh, purposes yeah, so, of having that freemium base? Yeah, the, the, the reason for having this uh, base, freemium base, is so that people can try out our product without having to talk to us, right? And then we find uh, uh, leads within our freemium base, right? So, uh, and then we see like people are using it or getting stuck or something. We will go reach out to them and say, offer support. And they say, hey, do you want to consider like customer success uh, based account? And, you, you know, and we are like quite cheap, right? In the sense compared to like customer success tools and all, right? Like, uh, uh, like if you have like a hundred accounts, you know, you're paying like hundred dollars a month or something like that. Uh, and then we sell them like, hey, uh, it'll take you like eight weeks to do this work. We can do it in like four. So there's a customer success monthly customer success thing that we can. Almost everyone opts in for the customer success because we are giving them fractional services they're used to. But it's a good starting point to like let them kick the tires of the product and then we get to see who's using it the most. And then we create qualified leads out of our product base, right? Essentially, we kind of, every time they have a support problem or if they're struggling, we can reach out, right? So, I got it. Now let's bring that full circle back to acquisition. If you can know the signals that can predict when a freemium lead becomes a really legitimate prospect for your pro plan, could you then take those signals and then feed those back to your say Google ads so that Google ads can chase people who will in the first say, I don't know, seven days, 14 days of their trial will exhibit those actions so that you can try to uh, acquire Absolutely. higher quality. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely that you can. And that's the plan for us. But we are a little bit young right now to be able to think like that. We need like thousands of users using our product, uh, you know, thousands of accounts using our product. We have like maybe like a few hundred, like uh, you use four or 500 or so using the free accounts and all, and like many users within it. But that's exactly the kind of thinking that uh, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, use the data to modify the ads, to like change some of the things. And obviously I need a lot of help with doing those kind of things because I don't understand the Google side of it that well, and, you know, but that's exactly the idea. We have the, we have the data to like use. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're really applying a lot of the same concepts of automation that your product is all about to, to your acquisition strategy, which is to take, um, just, just to empower the automation with, uh, with data. And, uh, and be more predictive in general. Yeah. Um, I'd like to now discuss with you the concept of the very popular concept in SaaS marketing, which is LTV to CAC. And <laughs> we, had a, we had a great little chat earlier before, before the show about why you believe that 
notions of LTV are either greatly exaggerated or just flat out wrong. Um, can you describe why yeah, the way uh, that most people think about LTV and LTV <laughs> to CAC is actually wrong today? Yeah, I mean, uh, I was actually listening to one of um, uh, Dave Kellogg's uh, uh, blog posts, uh, uh, you know, I, I, Tom Tungs and Dave Kellogg, right? Like I, I, I listen to them quite a bit, and their their thinking is like quite forward, right? So, so one of the things he said, like you know, LTV is an opinion, right? So and there's more to it, right? So it has a ambiguous numerator and an ambiguous denominator, the LTV to CAC ratio, right? So, and there are several reasons for that, right? Like. Um, as I just said, right, like most of the revenue comes from existing customers. But if you look about look at this uh, LTV CAC model, you are not accounting for any expansion revenue, right? And then you, this other problem is like you always assume that the churn rate is constant month over month, and and the def, by definition is like you know is one over churn rate, right? So if that's the if the churn rate is not constant, and if your definition is one over churn rate, then there, that's a problem. And then you also assume that if the customer has been around for like three years, or if the you know the uh, lifetime value is three years, your price has not changed, right? Like you know you you know you're charging like like five thousand dollars, you just continue to charge them five thousand, which is also inaccurate. And, and the last thing is like uh, uh, there may be like four segments of customers, right, or more or so. You tend to assume that the, every segment has the same churn rate, right? So and we, which we know is not true. Why? Because in our case, uh, the CSM managed accounts have a lower churn rate, higher retention, whereas the accounts that where you do not have CSMs have a high churn rate, right? And that's why that's one of the reasons why we exist. If you think about it, right? yeah. So, and so the last of, thing lack is lack of segmentation by by grossly generalizing all customers in in a single bucket, you're left with a such a diluted average of LTV that it's not even meaningful, right? We, we can go on and on about this. I have a huge blog on our website as well about uh, the NRR and uh, LTV and CAC. But it's one of the easiest things to manipulate also. And I'll give you like a couple of examples. Um, if you notice that uh, a lot of customers churn after within the first two months, a lot of companies don't even consider them the customers for the first two months, right? They say like, okay, let's start the cycle after. Well, the that just sounds month. like cheating. Yeah, it is. It's, it's manipulation, right? At the end of the day. And there are several other examples, right? Like uh, uh, people do uh, fixed year based instead of like month over month kind of thing, right? To like, so it, you know, I mean, every vanity metric can be manipulated, right? Like I think the same thing about like <laughs> NPS and LTV and CAC and uh, uh, several other metrics. Uh, that can be made to sound better than they really gotcha. are. So if if LTV to CAC is still the the greatest signal to an investor or a founder like yourself, if that's still one of the the hallmark signals of of, of marketing success. So if if my if the if the entrepreneur says LTV to CAC is three to one, that means their marketing is working and I'm writing the check. Well, if LTV to CAC is is, manipu is manipulatable, manipulatable, uh, whatever yeah, yeah. <laughs> the word yes. I'm trying to spit out. Well, what's what's a good replacement? Is it a payback period, or is it something else that that signals that your marketing is working? And I'm not suggesting we drop this, but that the the three uh, X the LTV should be greater than three X CAC is no longer true for uh, product led companies. Like people are talking like five X or even like higher higher numbers, right? 
So um, it, it depends on whether it's product led or sales uh, sales led. I'm not saying you like dropping it, but I want you. I get everyone to be aware of that. There's more to the. Uh, you know that you also need to think about like expansion revenue. You also think about uh, uh, different churn rates for like different uh, uh, segments and so on. So that's what I'm like kind of really uh, uh, pointing out over here. Over here. So I mean. Uh, uh, as products become cheaper, um, uh, as 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 uh, adoption becomes digital, or in, or like uh, you know uh, self service, and we use a term called like self success, right? Like uh, all those things become more, so you will be even more downward pressure, right? Like uh, I think I have a I can look it up. There's a quote uh, actually, I, it's an interesting one. Like um, so this is this is from like Profit World, right? Um, the cost of acquiring new customers has increased 60% in the last five years. I'm, I'm reading this. While the willingness to pay for features had dropped by 30%, right? So uh, because of some of these reasons, right? Like, you know, I think uh, it's important to look at just beyond LTV and GAN. Yeah. Does that imply the, the, the decrease in willingness to pay for features? Is that implying that value-based pricing should be replacing the traditional feature-based Pricing where you you upgrade to a higher price only to get more a, a bigger feature set. Yeah, I mean we, we have like usage based pricing or account based pricing. Like how many customers are you serving? We don't care if five people use the product or five hundred people use the product. It's the number of people that you're trying to reach, right? So we do it, we do it like that. But then again, I mean, you know, with lower switching costs, you know, rising acquisition costs, and like the you know, lower uh, average revenue per account, with uh, you know lower willingness to pay. That means that as the CAC goes up, your profitability kind of goes down, right? So you have to serve more accounts to sustain as a SaaS business, right? So, so I, I can't help but ask you this question now, Dickie. Of your entire customer base, what percentage of your customers are touched at least once a month by automation from Cast, from Cast app? Yeah, so... Uh, so we think of it like slightly differently, right? So, uh, um, and the reason for that is very simple, right? Uh, uh, there is like monthly business reviews, there are quarterly business reviews, there are like scheduled ways to reach out to customer, but a slightly better way to reach out to customer is is an ad hoc where something, some change happens and then you reach out to a customer. Let me give you an example, right? A lot of people use customer health as a metric to see where the customers are in like red, yellow, green range, right? So one of the metrics they might be using is if the customer has not logged in for like 21 days, they are in yellow, right? Or, or there are more to it. I'm just oversimplifying it, right? But what if you could prevent that? So after like, if they haven't logged in for like 16 days or 10 days or something, what if you could send a notification to them or a video to them explaining like the advantages of the product that they're not using? So we think of it like slightly differently. It's like it's you know, more on demand and it's not on a schedule. Yes, as and the, schedule as just happens to be oh, it's the first of the month, right? So that's another event that can be used to like send scheduled events, right? So, but most of the conversations should be ad hoc. Great, Dickie, this has been fantastic, and I I'd like to wrap up with um, a little bit more of a personal question, which is what I'm seeing right behind you on the wall. And <laughs> The, most people will be are only listening to the audio, so I'm going to try to describe it. You've got three portraits on your wall behind you. The first is uh, is Albert Einstein. The second is Martin Luther King Jr. 
And the third is I'll let you I'll let you say who is the third and why is that person included in this uh, in this rare exclusive group of three? Yeah, that's Stanley. Like I mean, you know, I, I um, you know a lot of comic fans, Marvel fans, like you know, would know him, but I, I really love his uh, his creativity, right? So. Uh, I mean, uh, Einstein, like, it's all about brains, right? Like, uh, MLK is all about doing the right thing and then combining it with, like, creativity. I think those are the three things that matter a lot uh, to me, right? So uh, so I figured uh, those are the right people to, like, have. <laughs> so intelligence, <laughs> ethics, and creativity. There you go. <laughs> I love that. Uh, that. That is amazing. Thanks. Thanks for that. Thank you. <laughs> Dickie, was there anything that I didn't ask you that you're that you wished I would have asked, or is there anything else that you would like to share uh, to, with our audience? Um, uh, can I promote Cast.app a little Please bit? Please do. Go go for it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. So yeah, um, yeah. We are in early stages, uh, and then as I said, we uh, we scale customer success and revenue growth uh, using automation, and then we kind of create these automated. Uh, ad hoc and review presentations that can, uh, uh, you know, explain concepts to executives and customers and like drive adoption and revenue at the same time. So, and I'm looking to talk to like several people, uh, like-minded people to like discuss, uh, you know, how they are scaling customer success. So if they want to reach out to me, uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Dickie Singh, and then also visit cast.app and like, you know, connect with me. That's great. I'm just wondering right now, how many job ads are out there on LinkedIn for customer success manager? And those are the people you need to go after because if they're struggling to find hire and retain customer success managers, it's time for cast app. I think. Yeah. We, yeah, we, we, yeah, we talked to our uh, ICP or is actually the leaders, uh, the, the, the directors or the VPs of customer success who are not just people managers, who are not just managing the CSMs, uh, you know, but they're managing the entire product line. They're managing the, the scale business. They're they're responsible for revenue. They're responsible for providing more service uh, to more accounts at scale.